welcome again, especially if you're uh, new, it's your first time, you're, you're relatively new at Trinity, it's great to have you with us. As Dave mentioned earlier, uh, this week we're starting a new kind of mini-series. So the next uh, three messages this week, then next week, and then we'll have a break in two weeks' time for the Christian Aid service, and then in uh, the week after that, we're going to be looking at a, a small series focusing on our church uh, vision and our church values. So we do this, um, for those of you who are new here, we do this three times a year. Once in January, um, once in kind of April, May time, and once in September. So that we're being reminded all the time of what our vision is as a church, and what our values are. What, what we want our church DNA to be, what, how we want to be shaped as a church. And you might be wondering, well, why? Why do we do this? Why do we need to do this? Why is it important to have these regular reminders of our church uh, vision? Well, the reality is, Sometimes life can feel like a slog, can't it? We all have responsibilities, we all have things that we need to do to just keep life running, to keep on top of things. And uh, responsibilities like maintaining our home, that might be for you, it might be cleaning, it might be cooking, it might be just doing jobs around the house, fixing stuff when it goes wrong, just things that need to be done to keep on top of life. It might be maintaining your job, getting into work every day, doing your hours, fulfilling your contract so you can keep your job, so you can earn the money that you need to, to, to survive, make ends meet. It might be maintaining your relationships, keeping in touch with those friends, making sure you make time to connect with your family, with your husband or wife, or with your children, to make sure you're investing in those relationships. We all have responsibilities, and sometimes it can feel like we're just doing the same thing over and over again, and life's a slog. And maybe you're feeling like that uh, this afternoon. It's our first week back after um, Easter holidays. We've had one week of school. And uh, maybe it's, you were away over the Easter holidays and you had a bit of sun, whether that was abroad or whether that was here. And you've come back to life and you've picked up your old routines again. We're a week in and uh, life just feeling kind of grey. Back, back to the usual. Same thing over and over. Every night, go to bed, wake up, start again. And the typical reaction when we feel like that is to just get our head down and plough on. Isn't it? That's how most of us respond. Just get your head down, keep going, plough on. Just keep going, picking up those toys the next day. Keep going, uh, getting into work and turning the handle in that job that you just find dull. Keep going with being patient with your your husband or wife or your kids when they do that frustrating thing that you're you're annoyed about and you've told them a hundred times not to do. We just keep going, get our head down and plough on. And there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for just grinding it out when we feel low. But long term, that's not a sustainable way to respond when life feels hard. Eventually, if you keep on giving and there's no motivation and there's no joy, eventually something's going to crack, something's going to give. You'll be bitter, you'll be resentful, and you'll end up either exploding, which will hurt the people closest to you, or you'll shrivel, which will also hurt the people closest to you in a different way. They'll lose you. If you keep going, keep giving when the motivation is not there, when you've lost the vision, lost the purpose, lost why you're doing it, ultimately that's going to lead in problems. It's not healthy. And that's why these series that we do three times a year are so important. It's a chance for us to remember why we do what we do. Because what you really need, when you have that time, when you have that time when life feels tough, what you really need is a reminder of why you're doing it. You need one of those moments where Uh, For kids, it normally happens when they're asleep, right? You go into their room, and they just look peaceful and angelic, and you think, yes, that's why. That's the reason I'm doing it. That's why I'm changing that nappy. That's why. Or the moment when they they come up to you, and they put their head on your shoulder, or put their arm around you, say, I love you, Dad. I love you, Mum. 
It's those moments that keep us going. Or in the workplace, when you, you deliver that project or you get that job done, and it's something only you could have done, and it's something that benefits your team or benefits the world, and you get that well done from your manager or that good job, and you think, wow, that's why I do this job. We need those moments to remind us why we do what we do when life gets tough, when we feel like it's just the same thing over and over again. And that's what we need in church too. Because the reality is church, there can be times when it feels like we're doing the same thing over and over again. There can be times when it feels like we're in, we're, um, we need a bit of re, re-motivation, revisioning. Especially in a church like this where we set up every week. Uh, and that's why we need long-term to, to remind ourselves regularly of why we are here and why we exist as a church. What our vision is as a church and what our values are. So we can keep going when things are hard. So that leads to the question, well, what is our vision? What is the vision of Trinity? How do we remind ourselves of it? Well, believe it or not, you see the vision when you get to the church each week. It's right at the front here. So the vision of Trinity, the reason we exist, is for all to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. That's why we're called Trinity Chippenham. That's our vision. But what does that mean? It's easy, isn't it, to look at those words to see them at the front each week and for them to kind of bounce off us and to not really take in what it actually means. So I'd like to just work through that, this, this sentence, um, kind of phrase by phrase or keyword by keyword, and just unpack a little bit for a few minutes what it means to remind us of why we're here, why we exist as a church. So I'll do it in reverse order. So first of all, Trinity. What does Trinity mean? Well, Trinity is the description of who God is. It's a bit like saying, I'm Andy, I am a human. That is a table. God is Trinity. And it means three persons. It means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's more than just a Christian word that other churches are called, and we like the name, so we called it ourselves. It refers to a reality about who God is. And it makes the God of the Bible, the true and living God, very different to any other God. So all other gods are not Trinity. The true God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. United as one God. He is three persons united as one God. So that's who the Trinity is. And the reason we're so passionate about the Trinity is because the fact that God is like that is good news, which leads me on to the second of our keywords, the glorious love. What is the glorious love of the Trinity? What does that mean? Well, if the Trinity is who God is, love is what defines God. God is three persons, and he is united in love. Those three persons are joined together in the love they have for each other. So God's the one who created everything. Everything we see in the universe was made by God. But before God created everything, before creation, he wasn't just sitting there twiddling his thumbs, waiting for something more interesting to happen. God was love. The Father was loving the Son. The Son was loving the Father in the joy of the Holy Spirit. God was and is a relationship. And he was that before creation. And that is really good news. That is a beautiful thing because in relationship defined by love, there is joy and delight, there is give and take. There is a dynamic within God, Father loving Son, Son loving Father. And creation, the reason God created, 
was to share that love with the world. God didn't just make us so he could have someone to serve him. He didn't just make us because he needed some, us. He made us because it was an overflow of who he was, an overflow of himself, an overflow of his love. He created us to share in his love. And that leads me to the third of our key words, transformed. What does it mean to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity? Well, it's our conviction that it's God's love, his outgoing, his giving love, which changes people. It's God's love that changes people. It's when we meet and experience the love of God directed towards us that we change. True and real and lasting change doesn't just come from us trying to fix ourselves. It can't. We have to have our hearts won over. We have to have our hearts captured by the goodness of God. So the, the love of God is what we need for personal change, and the love of God is what our world needs. The love of God is what our world most needs. It's what our world is crying out for. Because we have turned our backs on him, we live apart from him and all the good that he gives us. And we see that all around. We see that in the brokenness and pain of our daily lives. We see that in the brokenness and pain of our friends' lives and those that we know who are struggling. Every day we see the lostness of the world without God. The transforming love of God is what our world really needs. And that's why our goal and our vision as a church is to share that love. To share that love, to preach that love, to give that love out to everyone we meet so that which brings me on to the fourth of our words, all are transformed by his love. So who's the all? The all is everyone. Everyone in this room, everyone that's part of the church, our vision as leaders of the church is that every single one of you will be captured by the love of God for you. Every single one of you will get deep in your heart how much God loves you and how much he cares for you and how much he has done for you so that you are transformed As you spend time reading the Bible, as you spend time praying, as you come to church, as you go to life groups, as you you go through your week interacting with different members of the church, each one of you is transformed individually. Our vision is that as a church community, as as a group, we would be transformed by this love. As we hear of God's love together as a church, that we would gradually be changed and we'd start to reflect more of his love in the way that we love each other. And we'll come on to that later. And our vision is that not just in the church, but everyone that's connected to us, everyone that we meet, everyone that, that has contact with someone in the church through a friendship, a neighbor, a work colleague, family members, everyone that has any connection with the church, just strangers that we meet, would, would, as they meet us, meet God's love. And as they see us, as they, as they have contact with us, they would have contact with the love of God through us. And that in that, they would be transformed. So our vision is that all... Everyone who has any contact with us as a church would be transformed by knowing and experiencing and living in the glorious love of the God who is Trinity. That is our vision. That's why we exist. We want to share that love as widely as we can. We want to be transformed ourselves. We want to see you transformed. We want to see Chippenham transformed by the love of God. That's why we're here. And that's a vision that excites me. And that's a vision that, that I want to share. Um, That's the vision that we see at the front each week. And the values of our church, the the kind of DNA, reflect that vision. So we want to be a church who loves God. We want to be a church that loves one another. And we want to be a church that loves our neighbours. Loving God individually, loving each other as a community, 
and loving our neighbours, those around us. So our values reflect our vision. They're a response to our vision. And this series, we're going to be focusing on the second of those three values, loving one another. Loving one another. So we're going to be thinking over the next three messages what it means to love each other as God has loved us. And as we were thinking about this as elders and thinking about how to, um, what direction to take this series in and how to, um, to get across what we wanted to say, there was one passage of the Bible that particularly kind of stood out for us and we felt like captured what we wanted to be saying in this, this message, in, in this series of messages. And it's um, John chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, it'd be great if you could turn to John 13 now. Um, there's a few on the front here, so please um, yeah, grab those if you haven't got one. And we're going to be looking at um, verses 31 through to 35 in this, this message today. It's page 900 in this um, black church Bible when you, when you get one. So we'll spend the next three weeks, next three messages, sorry, in this chapter. And we're going to look at different aspects of the love of Jesus as it's revealed to us in this chapter of the Bible and how that impacts how we can love each other as a church, how we should be loving each other as a church. So just a little bit of background before we read our, our verses for today. This uh, chapter was written, um, was, is, is, is placed um, during the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he went uh, to, to the cross. So it's his last evening before he died, Thursday evening, and died on Friday. And uh, he's had this meal with his disciples. He's, he's done this incredible act of humility where he gets down and washes his disciples' feet. And we're going to hear more about that next week as, as Mike comes to preach. And then he starts to feel troubled in his spirit. And Jesus says, one of you in this room is going to betray me. And the disciples say, that they're confused. Who is it, Lord? And John, who's sitting next to Jesus, says, can you tell us who it's going to be? Jesus says, the one who I give this bread after I've dipped it, dips the bread and gives it to Judas, Judas Iscariot. He says, what you're going to do, do quickly. And Judas gets up and walks out. And the, the atmosphere is tense. The disciples can feel that something significant is happening. Jesus has been talking about his death. And Judas gets up and leaves. They're not sure why. And then we get verse 31. So I'll read these verses to get, uh, together. When he had gone out, that is when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So this is the first thing Jesus says to his disciples after Judas has left the room. Judas goes out, they're listening to him, he looks them in the eye, and he says, I'm going to leave you. My time has come. My hour is here. And you've only got a short time with me. Where I'm going, you can't come. 
But I want to prepare you for what's happening next. I want to prepare you for how to live while I'm gone. So I'm going to give you a new commandment. Here's, here's, here's what it is. Love one another. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for each other. He's saying, I want you to love each other as a group in the same way as I have loved you. And as you do that, that's going to mark you out as mine. That's going to be like your identity mark, your stamp. My disciples, because of the way they love each other. Because I want you to love in the way I have loved you, with a Jesus-like love. It's a bit like if you're in the army, you wear the uniform, and you walk down the streets, and everyone knows you're in the army from looking at you. That's your kind of stamp mark of identity. If you support a certain football team, you put their shirt on and walk down the street, everyone knows that you're a follower of that team. Just like if you look at someone, they wear a football shirt, and they belong to that tribe, the way that you love each other, with a, a love that's like my love, that's going to mark you out as my tribe. Okay? So it's the way we love each other shows the world, the watching world, that we're his disciples. So that raises a question. Okay? If we're to love each other the way that Jesus loves us, well, how does Jesus love us? How does Jesus love us? And that basically is the question we're going to answer over the next three messages. That's why we've called the series Loving Like Jesus, because we want to love in a way that he has loved us, so that people look at us and know we're his, and say, wow, their God's different. The way they love each other is different. I want to know more about that God. So we want to be people that love like Jesus. So next week, we're going to think about how Jesus' love is uh, self-giving. We're going to think about how Jesus' love is sacrificial and costly, and it took him to wash his disciples' feet, and it took him to the cross. In three weeks' time, we're going to think about how Jesus' love is forgiving, how Jesus' love is for people who don't deserve it, and ours must be too. And this week, for the time we've got left, we're going to think about how Jesus' love is other-centered. Jesus' love is other-centered, and therefore ours must be too. So what do we mean by that? What do we mean by other-centered? Essentially, it means, that it means a love where the person you're loving is the complete object of your attention. They're your focus. Everything is focused on the other person. You're not thinking about yourself. You're just thinking about the other person. It's, the direction is one way. There's a word in our language where we, that captures this. It's the word uh, altruistic. And the word altruism means a, a kind of selfless concern for the well-being of others. It's a love that my only object is your good. I just want your, your benefit and your blessing. That's my only concern, my only object, my only focus. And you might think, well, isn't that what all love is like? But it's not that obvious. It's true that we're made in the image of God, so it's possible for us to love like that. Altruism does occur, and when it occurs, everyone sees how good it is, how attractive it is, and how beautiful it is. And we're all capable of it at times. So we see examples of this um, all over our lives. Um, we see it in friendships, friends who give um, to each other, friends who, who give up stuff for each other, friends who, who make sacrifices when another friend is in need. We see it in uh, romantic relationships, especially in those early days when all you want is 
someone else's good and you have people traveling miles over the country and staying up late into the night to, to help another person out because they love them. You see it, perhaps the best example, I think, in the natural world is the, the love of a parent for a child. That, pe- that, that love where all you want to do is protect and, and care for and, and love that child, that other person, and you find yourself going outside yourself to love that child. But even in our best moments, and we, and we do have them, the selfish, the, the other side is never far away, is it? So you give to a friend, and that other thought, well, when are they going to give back to me, is never far around the corner. And you, you love someone, but there's, always, there's a part of you that loves someone for them, and there's a part of you that loves them for you because you enjoy the experience and the feeling of loving them. And you, you love your child and you want to give to them, but it's never far away from the, the frustration and even the anger of the fifth time that you're awake in the night or the, the fifth time they've done that annoying thing in the last hour that you've told them not to do. The, the, the other side of our love is never far away from the good side of our love. So our, uh, it's possible for us to, to give of ourselves in this way and to be altruistic, but the way that we do it is never perfect. Why? Because we're human. We can love in this way in fits and starts, but we're broken people and we live in a broken world. And by nature, we, 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 we love ourselves and we still have that impulse, that instinct to love ourselves first. So whenever we, we see this kind of love, the other side, the self-centered side, is never far away. I read a really interesting article recently about the England rugby captain, Dylan Hartley. Uh, in the rugby world of professional rugby, every four years... Um, they have a, a tour called the British and Irish Lions Tour, and the best players from England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland uh, are picked to create a kind of super team that go and tour another part of the world. And this, uh, this England rugby captain, Dylan Hartley, uh, there was some uh, discussion about whether he'd get picked, um, and he didn't get picked in the end. It's quite controversial, because he's the captain, obviously, didn't get picked for the sort of best of the best team. And when the news was announced, he sent a tweet, um, and this tweet generated quite a lot of attention, and it said... Uh, congrats to all selected, especially George North, Courtney Laws, two people from his team. Head down, keep grafting, work to be done in Argentina, where he's going on tour. And then hashtag, Feargoon. And uh, this word prompted sports journalists all over the country to get to Google and their uh, dictionaries and find out what Feargoon means. And it's, uh, it's from modern Hebrew. And here's the meaning. A genuine, unselfish delight or pride in the accomplishment of someone else giving credit where it's due, fairly and without jealousy. It's a word that we don't have a translation for in our language. It's a bit like altruism, but just really genuinely happy when something good happens to someone else. And he put that in his tweet. And he was, he was praised. And everyone congratulated him and said, what a great impulse, what a great instinct to, to be so happy in the achievements of others and not thinking of himself, and he's so humble and selfless, and everyone was really impressed. And this article that I read about this, this guy was saying, well, this is great. Why don't we see more of it in our society? And his answer to that question was, well, in the last few decades, the individual has kind of replaced the social. And we're now in a world where it's all about competition. It's all about comparison. It's all about getting ahead. And you see it, he was saying, you see it in schools where it's not enough to get 70%. If everyone else is getting 90%, you're still below. You need to sort of be better than other people not just as good as you can be to achieve. He said, we see it in the workplace where we have these pyramid structures where the people you work with any moment could be looking down on you and you've got to get over the, over the others to get to the top. 
He said, we see it even in TV, in our game shows. They're all, all winner-takes-all format. So the winner takes everything. You've got to get other people out of the way to get what you want. It's quite perceptive. To which I say, absolutely, I agree. We don't see this, this concept more in our society, absolutely, because we're, we're competing, because we're trying to get over each other. But it's not just happened in the last few decades. The Bible says that's the human condition. It's been like that from the start of the world. It's been like that forever. We're always trying to get over someone else to get our own way because we're broken, because we're naturally self-centered. So we, we see glimpses of this kind of love in ourselves, in our society, in fits and starts. But because we're so naturally wired to turn in on ourselves, it is just that, just in fits and starts. Our love is a bit like um, a river uh, that's near the sea. I went to Cornwall last year and... Um, in North Cornwall, there's a couple of estuaries that go into the sea. And towards the, 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 the sea, the, the, the river's quite wide. And when the tide comes in, it's a really weird sensation. You look at the, the river, and it looks like it's flowing the wrong way. Because it's so close to the sea, when the tide comes in, the river goes in the opposite direction. And you know, you're taught at school, the rivers start up there in the mountains, and they go down in streams and rivers, and they always go in one direction. But here, in, you know, when you're near the sea, near, near the mouth of the river, it looks like the river's going two ways. And our, our, that's what our love is like. Our love goes in a mixture of directions. It does go out towards other people, but it also goes in to ourselves. But God's love could not be more different to our love. And that's the point. God's love is like the, if you go up the river, up to the source, and there's a spring God's love is like that spring. The Bible describes God's love as being like a fountain. God's love pours out from him to the objects of his love. And it's one direction. God's love doesn't go back towards himself like our love does. God's love goes out. One direction. And the direction is away from himself. And we see that in our passage. Um, If you have a look down at verse verse 31. um, I'll just read verses 31 and 32 again. Um, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Sounds a bit complicated, doesn't it? Every now and then you get these passages in the Bible where one word is repeated a lot and it's a bit hard to work out what's going on. So I thought I'd draw a diagram to try and help us visualize what's happening. Um, So the Son of Man is glorified. He says, now is the time when I'm going to be lifted up and everyone's going to see how amazing and glorious I am. And he says, when the Son of Man is glorified, God then is also glorified in him. So that's the left side. You've got the Son being glorified and as he is lifted up and shown to be amazing, the Father is glorified in him because the Son is the Father. They're the same. So that The Father shares in the glory of the Son when he's glorified. And then Jesus says, well, if that's the case, then if God will also glorify the Son in himself and do it at once. So because the Father shares in the Son's glory, then when the Father's glorified, he says, I'm going to make sure the Son shares in my glory as well. So whenever the Father is lifted up and shown to be amazing, the Son shares in that. So the picture is one of of glory sharing. As one of them is lifted up, as one of them is shown to be amazing, the other one shares in it because they're one and the same, because they are one. 
And we see this picture all through uh, the Gospel of John, this kind of dynamic where they, the Father and the Son just want to share in each other's glory. They want to glorify the other. Um, so I've, I've got a few verses on the screen. Uh, John 4:34. first of all. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I just want to do what my Father wants. John 7:18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, i.e. Jesus, is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Jesus, all he wanted to do was seek the glory of the one who sent him, the Father. John 8, 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So Jesus isn't about his own glory. He doesn't seek his own glory. It's his Father who glorifies him. What we're seeing here is a kind of glimpse into the life of the Trinity, a glimpse into the heart of God, Father and Son, and how they relate. And what we're seeing, and here's the point, it's totally other-centered. The way that God relates, God's love, is totally focused on the other. It doesn't think about the self. And because that's Jesus' DNA, because that's what he's been doing for all eternity... We then see that spilling out in his life through the Gospels. We see it in the way he cares for people. He cares for the unlovely, the ones that no one else would touch. We see it in the way he he keeps giving, even when he's spent. He's tired at the end of the day, he's wrung out, and people flock to him, and he keeps healing. He keeps teaching them. He keeps giving of himself, because his focus is purely on the other, and not on himself. We see it in chapter 13, in the way that he washes the feet of his disciples. We'll hear more about that next week and we see it ultimately in what he goes on to do after this where he goes to the cross and he dies for sinners he dies for people who are lost he dies to rescue those who have turned their back on him and as he's doing that as he's going to the cross and as he's taking on himself that death that he didn't deserve he's not thinking of himself the the object of his focus that the pure what's filling his mind is us. And that's the most amazing thing about the other-centered love of God. That you are the object of it. You are the object of God's love. If God is the fountain springing out, then you're in the stream. You're downstream. You're the object. He sent Jesus before creation. He decided, I'm going to send my son because I want my love to flow out from me and I want my children to receive it. He sent Jesus to die for you, for all who will receive him. In all of your mess, in all of your self-centeredness, in all of your undeservingness, he loves you anyway. Uh, Maybe you never knew that. Maybe you never thought of God like that. Maybe you thought God uh, was like a two-way river where the current goes in both directions. Maybe you, this is what we do naturally. We project ourselves onto God. Maybe you thought of God as, yeah, he loves me, but he also wants something from me. Yeah, he gives, but he also demands. And he wants something from me before he'll give more. It's kind of two-way. I'll give, but I want something for myself too. That's how we work, isn't it? But God could not be more different to that. God's love is one way. His love flows out towards you, 
And maybe you've never received him. Maybe you've never really received his love for yourself. Maybe because you didn't think God was like that, you've turned your back on him. You turn your back on that God who gives love. You're turning your back on, on life. God's love flows out of him and it flows out towards you and you can receive it even today. So what does this mean for us as we think about how we love each other? Well, we've seen on our own, we can't do this. As a church, as Trinity Chippenham, we can't love each other in this other-centered, self-giving, selfless, humble, altruistic way because our love is two directions and the default is always to self but living in his love we can I don't know if you've ever been uh, canoeing in a, in a quick river um, I've done it once or twice and occasionally you catch a current in the river you catch the stream and when you do that you're not paddling you're not moving yourself forwards all you're doing is using your paddle to direct you to, to keep you in the stream. You're not pushing yourself. You're just keeping yourself in the flow. And living downstream of God's love, God's unending, unfailing love, we can love others caught in the flow, caught in the outward flow of God's love. We can love those around us. Wouldn't it be great if as a church, as Trinity, we were so captured by the love of God for us as individuals, that our minds were just full up of thinking of each other. Wouldn't that be great? If God's love flowing to us could just spill out to others, it could overflow to each other. Wouldn't it be great if we could be a church where our minds are so full of each other and how we can give, how we can serve, how we can bless, that when we come to church on a Sunday, we're not thinking about how we can get, we're thinking about how we can give, how we can serve. That when we come to uh, life group on a, on a midweek. We're not thinking about how can I be built up. We're thinking about how can I build up others? How can I build up other people tonight? Wouldn't it be great if we were just so full of the love of God for us that we were just thinking in our free time about how we can serve, how we can give, how we can bless our families and our friendships? I mean, I'm aware that in saying all this, um, it's a little bit like I'm preaching to the choir. Because I, I think, I don't think I'm uh, not unfair in saying that we do see this love a lot. I think as, as a church, we, we reflect the love of God in a way that is really uh, beautiful. And I've, I've been the, the recipient of it on many occasions. Um, so in saying this, I'm not saying this isn't something we're doing. I think we are. I think we're already displaying this love. But... There's a, um, a moment in the, in, in the Bible, in one of Paul's letters, where he's writing to um, the Thessalonians. And this is a church that's doing really well. And it's a church that he planted recently. And they're, they're, everyone's hearing about their faith. And at one point in the letter, he writes to them and says, um, he urges them, please keep going and keep living to please God. And he says, just as you are doing, <clears throat> do so more and more. And I think that's what I want to say. If, if, for those of you who who are giving and who are serving and, you're, and, you're, and you, are, you spend a lot of time thinking of others, just as you are doing, do so more and more. Be encouraged and keep going, but don't keep going looking to yourself. Keep going looking to Jesus. Keep going living downstream of his love for you and how he loves you and love others with him. 
maybe you're not there. Maybe you, as, I'm, as I'm speaking, you're thinking, oh, wow, um, I, do, I don't actually uh, think of others as much as I maybe could. And I do tend to go into situations and walk into a room and think, how can I get rather than how can I give? And where does that leave me? And I want to say to you, God loves you in that. God loves you in all your self-centeredness. And we're all like that, a bit like that, all of us. God loves you in that, and because of that, you can love others. So, uh, yeah, maybe you're, um, you're not in either of those positions, and you're just looking in, and you're thinking, well, could this be for me? I'm not really sure, I'm just exploring things, I don't know if this is for me or not yet. And I would want to say to you, join the adventure, join the adventure. This is the, the life we were made for. God made us to give ourselves in the way that he has given of himself to us. And the invitation to love one another as I have loved you is for you as well. Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples as you love one another. Let's pray. Let's pray that God will take those words and put them on our hearts And let's pray that we'll reflect more of his likeness as we share uh, in those words over this coming week. Let's pray together and then we'll share um, communion. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. Thank you that you gave of yourself for us. And as you were doing so, you weren't thinking of yourself, you, you were thinking of us. Father, we pray that we would be people who are able to reflect just a bit of that love to each other. And in doing so, we would speak to the world around us. And we'd show them more of how good you are. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.